There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 15th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Inflation is increasing at the fastest rate in four decades. And as the cost of everything goes up, some are finding it hard to make ends meet, despite the special measures introduced by government. I think in fairness, a lot has been done um, by the government uh, to help people with the rising cost of living. Um, I might read them out later, but I can identify 25 individual measures alone that the government has introduced only in the past year or so uh, to help people with the cost of living in lots of different ways. But we've always acknowledged that it isn't possible to fully insulate everyone uh, from the rising cost of living, uh, though we do strive to uh, insulate those on the lowest incomes and those dependent on pensions and social welfare uh, to, to the greatest extent that we can. The government is now considering what to do next to help people cope and it will be expensive. Some energy companies will be making very large profits um, this year or essentially will be making very large profits last year and this year uh, because of the high cost of energy. In very many cases, profits they never even thought themselves they were going to make. And that ranges from um, the car of gas fields uh, to oil and petrol refineries Uh, to state-owned companies like ESB, for example. Um, And that isn't fair, uh, and that isn't right, and it's not okay, and we are going to act on it. Uh, When it comes to state companies making very, very large profits, uh, we can use the dividend system to take a special dividend and use that money to help uh, families and businesses um, with the with the cost of living. So the government will enjoy a dividend from state-owned companies making unheard of profits and it doesn't end there. The, the plans are very well advanced uh, and we will have hundreds of millions of euros coming in from uh, the windfall tax uh, on energy companies uh, and that is money that we didn't factor into the budget uh, for this year. So it is additional funds that we can use uh, to help defray the cost of living. That's the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak to the Labour Party spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who's a TD for Loud and East Mead. Good morning to you. Morning. Thank you for coming in to us. Uh, the Taoiseach talking there about that windfall tax. The Minister uh, for Energy, Eamon Ryan, estimates that that's going to be worth between €280 million and €600 million. Euro. That's a, a lot of money to start. It is, yeah, depending on how it's how it's designed. Um, it's actually, I was looking back in my notes um, before I came in here this morning, Michael, and 13 months ago, um, I had a motion before the Dáil uh, on the 
cost of living challenge that was about to become a cost of living crisis um, as um, Putin uh, gathered his troops to illegally invade Ukraine. Inflation was rising at that point in time. Uh, energy costs were rising. And already in 2021, energy companies were posting enormous profits and we'd called for a windfall tax 13 months ago. It wasn't until the before summer... Before the war. That's right. right okay. um, mm-hmm. It wasn't It wasn't before... Uh, it wasn't until August where uh, Tulane and Ryan agreed with us that something must be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, European Union agreed then in September that a windfall tax could be permitted uh, across the European Union. Countries like Austria, Czech mm-hmm. Republic, Spain, Portugal, Germany have already introduced mm-hmm. a windfall tax back in November. They're waiting for the green light and we haven't done so yet. Because okay, it's country. been a very good war for energy companies, hasn't it? It certainly has. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've seen companies like, uh, you know, the, the, the owners of Borgosh posting, you know, expecting to post profits about one and a half billion more than they did the mm-hmm. previous year. Uh, Electric Ireland, which is uh, owned by uh, ESB, very profitable indeed, state company, ESB, of course, uh, they put up their uh, charge on electricity by 11 cent last August and they're telling us then yesterday that well wholesale prices that's used to generate electricity is going to come down over the next period of time we might be waiting 18 to 24 months before we see any benefit in our bills which is quite extraordinary Mm. Uh, and if that's the case then energy prices will certainly become an election issue we're due an election in two years time maybe 18 months time this will be a big big issue Mm. uh, and people will be watching this closely because people really are struggling Okay, but there's many ways of skinning a cat and I Mm. suppose that's the idea of the dividends the prices may not come down the government may take the dividend from and ESB then, and then, and then pass pass tax to, on private companies yeah. and then pass that back to the people the question is how do you give it back to people fairly uh, and what's the most equitable way of doing that and reaching those who need it most because a lot of people got 200 or 600 euro through these energy credits over the last few months uh, who were wondering what they were getting it for yeah at 400 million euros mm. uh, pop now 400 million euros would get get you um, you know bring all social welfare payments up to 20 euros Euro mm. a week. Government only brought it up to €12 Euro a week in last September's budget. And that's below the rate of inflation. So if you're on social welfare, if you're a carer, if you're on a disability payment, um, if you're on, on, on job seekers, uh, you'll find that your euro is not stretching as far as it did because uh, your social welfare increase, increase just isn't keeping pace with mm. the rising cost of food, energy, rent. An effective pay cut. So it's an effective mm. pay cut. Yeah, and yeah. equally, the, the, the minimum wage only went up by 80 cent when it actually ought to have gone up to €12 Euro to insulate people um, against the kind of worst problem problems that people are experiencing in terms of the cost of living crisis. So what we've been saying for a number of months now is that a mini budget would be required mm. uh, in February when the once-off measures uh, totaling €4 billion euro wear off and they are wearing off. And I accused the government yesterday uh, of playing politics with people's lives because they're drip-feeding uh, all of these different measures, whether it be an increase to um, or an additional uh, week of social welfare payment, um, you know, an extra payment on child benefit, whatever the case might be. They're drip-feeding this through the media. And people are very anxious at the moment. I'd busy clinic on Monday morning, listening to people's concerns about how they're going to make ends mm. meet. And people are choosing between eating and, and, and mm. eating. Well, if um, that's the case, you're as guilty. We're all as guilty, are we not? About talking about what the options are, and the government hasn't made decisions yet, it's looking at the options. But tell me about the labour policy, uh, because you're saying a mini-budget. We're talking about a few hundred million here. Uh, how much are you talking about we're the talk, first instance? It, it, it would, we calculated yesterday morning that the kind of measures that we'd like to see introduced could cost about 1 billion to 1.2 billion and people say well can we afford that i think we we can't afford not to do it because 
the, the, the social issues that would be created by leaving far too many people behind would just be absolutely incalculable and intolerable. Um, you know, the, we put four billion euro, the government put four mm. billion euro into a rainy day fund a couple of weeks ago and made great sort of play out of that. And it's great to see that the economy is mm. doing so well. But that's not been the experience of hundreds of thousands of families across mm. the country. When they see the government saying, look, you know, we've had a great year last year. Yeah. Tax revenues have been absolutely enormous at five to six billion euro surplus. Mm. We're putting four billion into a rainy day fund. It's raining now. Mm. for many, many people around this town, around this county, around this country, and need support now. So what we would propose is that there would be uh, a, 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 you bring the social welfare increase up to 20 euro, not to 12 euros, you'd add 8 euro a week onto social welfare payments to insulate people. Uh, because the cost of, it, you know, it, it's not stabilising, Michael. I mean, Central Bank of Ireland say it's, inflation is going to be with 6.3% uh, this, this year. It was over 8% uh, percent last year. It's coming down, but that's not feeding into prices coming down. And this is going to be the problem. There's going to be a lag. So people are, are going to be experiencing continued difficulties. What we're talking about as well is that extra month on child benefit. That would cost mm. about 170 million euros. Mm. Um, we're talking as well about extending the Is that targeted? I mean... Uh, it's not. It's not. Um, but the, the, the children of politicians, mm. uh, the children of Michael O'Leary or hospitals, the highest paid people in the country would be getting uh, an increase in child benefit uh, if they have children. Yeah, and we have a problem with a lot of universal payments, mm. like, for example, yeah. the 200 euro mm. yeah. that was introduced, costing 400 million million euro per pop uh, and one is coming now in in, in, in March April the last one uh, everybody gets that regardless mm. of what your income is and we, we've we've critiqued that from the start yeah. single you person know, earning a hundred thousand and a family but, of six are earning but society, society yeah. made that call mm. a long number yeah. of years mm. ago that there should be universal payments like child benefit mm. and they, they tend to work you know if we were starting again mm. um, you know if if, uh, if this country was starting and if we were redesigning our social welfare system you would argue no Okay, but, the, need to be much but more these are emergency but measures, aren't yeah. they? they? These are to help people cope because people aren't coping. So if you give it to people who are coping and wondering why they're getting this extra money, uh, it's flawed. Yeah, and, 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 and when you look at the energy credit, for example, um, arguably that's fueling inflation because it's, it's fueling demand. Um, people are spending more money in the economy. Mm. People who don't need that two hundred euro, uh, so you're replacing that with buying a pair of jeans and a pair of shoes. Um, if you don't require that, and there are many, many people who simply don't. That's why we argued for, example, an extra four weeks on the fuel allowance. And as part of the package we'd be proposing ahead of next week, uh, we would say extend the fuel allowance season by another four weeks, uh, possibly extend the thresholds again. To be fair, the thresholds had been extended. Mm. Uh, if you're a, a single person on an income of you know five hundred euro. Uh, pension, you, you will get the fuel allowance now. Mm-hmm. If you're a couple and 1,000 euro, you'll get the fuel allowance. We know that pensioners are especially exposed to, to fuel poverty, maybe living as well in poor, bare rated homes. Um, so these are emergency measures uh, that absolutely have to be done over the next few weeks. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Uh, we will know more this time next week. Uh, if I'm talking to you this morning next week, it's likely that we'll have spent a late night in the doll yeah. uh, on financial resolutions. For example, extended the excise cut, mm. excise duty cut on Do you on believe fuel. that will be extended? Should it be I, extended? I, 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 think, I think it will. I think yeah. it will. Mm. I, I, on a short-term basis, I, I believe that it, mm. that it ought to be. Similarily, we've been arguing, Michael, for the, the extension isn't of it cheaper? Is it not cheaper to buy petrol and diesel now than it, it was before the war? Uh, and uh, haven't we got a 
a policy of increasing the prices of fossil fuels in order to save the planet. These, these are short-term measures, and mm. you'd, you'd rarely um, you'd, you'd rarely find me arguing on this program or anywhere else for you know increased subsidies subsidies for the fossil fuel industry. But we we are in an emergency at this point in time. I think every cent helps um, for people. Uh, and one of the things we w- would want to do as well, which comes in under the 1.2 billion package mm. that we'd be talking about, is further extending the VAT the um, VAT cut that's currently in for your Didn't energy I? bills. Oh, um, okay. That's due to that's due mm. to um, uh, due, due, due to roll out uh, very very shortly, mm. and up to the end of the year, it would cost about 150 million. That's a s- small break for every householder mm. and every business as well, uh, who's obviously u- u- using energy. What the about the hospitality VAT rate? I have a concern about that. Mm. Um, uh, it wouldn't be the first time that I've mentioned it in this program. It was brought in in 2011 initially. Um, when Labour and Gaelic government together, um, we agreed that a very quick way of generating um, jobs was actually to make the hospitality industry more competitive, boosted tourism, made going out for uh, a meal cheaper, made staying uh, in a hotel somewhere around the country, you know, cheaper. That was a good thing. We saw an increase in 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 hospitality jobs. Um, it outlasted its usefulness. Um, in many ways, um, it remained in for seven or eight years. It was removed a couple of years ago, brought back in to assist the tourism and hospitality sector. Um, post, I say post COVID, COVID is still with us, but when we got over the worst kind of experience of COVID, and they needed that, they required that. Then there's no doubt about it. Um, but it is what's described in economist circles as a dead weight measure. Uh, we're spending 400 million euro now kind of a year in supporting an industry that uh, against all metrics is, is doing well is profitable uh, just try and buy get a hotel room mm. in Dublin uh, you despite know energy prices though uh, well there's a you different know, way I mean, yeah, you know, uh, uh, and not just energy yeah. uh, uh, I mean like everything else when they buy but, produce but, but a VAT cut is not, not the way mm. to assist the hospitality sector with difficulties meeting the challenge of paying energy bills and we know I've spoken to hoteliers in this region about the enormous bills that they face uh, and I described them what we would do. Mm. What I'd proposed, actually, in our in our own alter- costed alternative budget in September, was that we would have a, an energy, uh, sorry, an employ- an energy wage subsidy scheme because we believed that jobs in the retail, hospitality, and manufacturing, Indigenous Irish manufacturing se- sector, were at risk because of high ener- energy costs, and we're at risk of turning an energy crisis into a jobs crisis. Mm. So. Uh, spending 400 million euros uh, on on a, on, a, on a VAT rate cut, uh, the continuation of a VAT rate cut for the hospitality sector, I don't think is the best use of public funds. The best way to support them actually is through uh, a, a customised, tailored wage subsidy scheme to keep people in work, to help them with labour costs through this very difficult time, combined with a redesigned TBEST scheme. This is a temporary business uh, energy support scheme that hasn't worked. I mean, 1.2 billion euros allocated for this in September. There's been about 16 or 17,000 applications, 26 million and drawn down less than about one percent, one and a half percent of what was actually set aside for it. Um, you know, for example, one of the problems with that, Michael, is and there might be people listening in this morning, and I've dealt with them, people across County Louth and East Mead, business business owners who are renting a premises, maybe in a multi-unit complex from a landlord. Um, the uh, bills are actually wrapped into um, the rent. The landlord actually can't um, can't apply for uh, a a grant Mm. under the TBA scheme. Mm. That Mm. needs to change. Mm. Uh, And so does the reference period for considering actually, you know, how your charge is impacted on you. So these things Mm. can change. I think government might change that. Um, In no one's language is this this scheme working for business. 
and that's one of the reasons why the hospitality sector is stretched. Mm. I don't believe it was a good scheme at the time. Worked well for a couple of years. Um, continued to spend that kind of money uh, when you know others really, really require it to make ends meet, to meet the rent, to to, to keep the lights on. There's other ways of assisting the hospitality mm. sector. Uh, they do require assistance, but I, I I think we need to that that needs to be reviewed. That's mm. not news to anybody. Uh, the uh, minister, Minister Donoghue, when he met the hospitality industry uh, this year, uh, warned them that this was a temporary measure that was going to come to an okay. end. Um, and, and I expect that it probably will, but there's other ways of, of, of assisting. Well, it's a very job-rich sector, mm. Uh, mm. Michael, a very job-rich sector. Yeah. No paid. And this is the issue, mm. and I mean, mm. I've said yeah. all along, no conditions were attached mm. to this. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, no conditions whatsoever. Okay. We know that it's a, a, an area of, 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 of the economy that's, and it's many of the that's precarious wor- for people. Uh, a lot it's of the people paid. working in that sector are the people who are, are in need now, uh, and we're seeing people going to food banks right. uh, who are working. One in ten families, I, I think it is, so, according so, to Bernardo. So, so, so what like to do is, is, is resource yeah. their employer yeah. to help them to, to, to pay them mm. better, yeah. because there should be... You know, fair days pay for a fair day's work. Mm. There should be dignity in work. People shouldn't have to be, you know, claiming work and family payment mm. and so on if they're working really, really hard. They may need more hours. Mm. People need assistance to do all of that. So there's a better way of supporting mm. workers in that sector and supporting the sector itself. Mm. But you're right. I mean, the Bernardo's report last week that tallies what I hear all of the time from mm. people I represent. You know, people who are do you know cutting down on meals themselves so their kids can eat. Mm. Um, people who are cutting down on 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 you know turning the heat off just to make sure that they can mm. you know, feed the family. That's not where we want to be in a country that's very, very rich. Yeah, and, and that is a very important point because there's a lot of money in the country. There's a lot of money in the country. Uh, but but how bad is the level of debt? Uh, do you think there's a lot of hidden debt that people are, are using their credit card to pay off uh, their money lender or vice versa or going around the houses in that sort of way uh, and somehow scraping by yeah. but continuously in debt and debt is growing on top of debt. Yeah, Rob and Peter to pay Paul yeah. uh, and at a period now where you know higher interest rates are back um, this is an increasing problem. I mean, that's why we propose that the central bank should look at capping mortgage rates because while Ireland now is kind of mid-ranking in terms of variable mortgage interest rates, we used to be the second highest in the European Union. That's only because the banks have yet to pass on mm. the full effect of the European central bank interest rate rise uh, onto the consumer, and they will be doing that over the next period of time, mm. and that will absolutely crucify people who are mortgage mortgages, and we'll find landlords then, of course, where they can um, uh, passing on the 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 the, the increase uh, to those who are renting. Mm-hmm. We've now about 18% of the population are renting. It was 8% uh, back in um, 30 years ago. 8% yeah. has risen to 18%. Just uh, before we finish up, Paul, we're on the subject of housing. There's 6,000 houses missing, apparently. or There's a mystery over 6,000 houses. Uh, the CSO uh, figures uh, compared to, to figures from uh, the Construction Information Service. Uh, the government, uh, according to the CSO, exceeded its target. Uh, it, it didn't hit its target and there's a difference of 6,000 houses between the two, uh, that needs to be squared, doesn't it? Yeah, that's uh, not insignificant. I mean, that's uh, half the number of houses, for example, that's in the town of Drogheda, um, to put it in context. Um, how they missed that, I don't know. Um, I'm not entirely sure uh, how the uh, Construction Information Service um, um, carry out their research, but uh, from what I can recall, it's an independent body. Well, CSO mm. is independent as well. Uh, look, they're, they're they're measuring the number of completions last year, and the okay. CSO is going off uh, electricity connections apparently. Yeah, and I think the CIS actually excluded as well once-off homes. So now there's been okay. a reduction, it would seem to me, in once-off homes given the more stringent regulations that have been in place over the last few years. So, look, I mean, there's 
lies, lies and damn statistics. You know, what people listening to this program want to hear is when, when is my child going to be able to afford a house? Mm. So, you know, uh, and we know the government are not meeting their target. They won't meet their social and affordable housing targets this year, despite what they say. And uh, this is the biggest social issue facing us. Um, you know, the, the, I note this dispute between the CSO and the CIS. Let's see what the reality is when, when, when government published their final figures. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we need to be building more homes and social and affordable homes is the only way to actually get through this. All right. We'll leave it there for the moment. Many thanks for coming into us uh, this morning and uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. That is uh, the Labour Party spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who is a, a TD for Loud and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, the government has decided to establish a Citizens' Assembly on Drugs. We'll hear just a little bit of what the Minister for Justice had to say about this yesterday. We, we also have to get extraordinarily tough on the gangs um, and the drug, the drug dealers and the drug pushers and the people coming in and destroying communities and destroying families. And there's a piece, uh, and that's for the guards, and they're doing a lot of good work on that, and I want to see more on that, and I want to see more resources directed to it, and I've had good conversations in relation to that. But there is another piece that we're not talking enough about, which is the growing acceptability around the so-called social use of drugs. I mean, you have people who are funding this gangland criminality through cocaine use, and it's happening in all parts of Ireland, it's happening in all communities, rural and urban, um, and we need to really start calling it out. We need to start getting much tougher on it, actually, quite frankly. But we also really need to start reminding people of the direct link between their actions on a Saturday night and gangland crime on a Monday. I mean, there is a direct correlation. Like, who do they think are funding the gangland criminals? So I have a very, very, very supportive approach towards drug addicts and, and, and the health aid approach that we need to take to addiction. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people going out uh, and the social use or the perceived social use and sometimes social acceptability about the use of drugs. Uh, and that's something that I really want to see a renewed focus on um, because whatever comes of the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs, and I think a lot of good can come from it. Simon Harris, the Minister for Justice speaking at the Justice Committee yesterday. Let's speak uh, to People Before Profit TD for Dublin Midwest, Gino Kenny. A very good morning to you, Gino, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. You want all drugs to be uh, decriminalised, and I'm sure you welcome the establishment of this Citizens' Assembly. What do you make of that point that the Minister was making uh, that regardless of whether drugs are decriminalised or not people shouldn't be taking them because they're funding the drugs gangs that sounds almost contradictory Yeah See, I, I don't really buy into kind of moralising people whether they should take drugs or not um, and I don't think that really is helpful uh, in this case and um, when people take drugs for all sorts of reasons all sorts of reasons. And do they kind of, you know, consciously think that when they take a substance that they're funding kind of international criminal gangs or kind of domestic in, uh, criminal gangs? I don't think so. Mm. I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's the And the Minister is saying exactly that, but he's saying that they should. They should think about the drugs they take on a, a Saturday night is funding the, what the drugs gangs are doing on a Monday morning. Okay, do you make, that may be the case. Yeah. But, uh, I don't think people, when they buy any kind of illicit substance, mm. for want of a better word, are thinking that you know some they are contributing to uh, criminal gangs. No, uh, and they're, and they're not. But uh, uh, they're, they're not. But it makes it a different point. Uh, why not legalise the drugs and make the gangs illegal? Yeah. Well, I would be from a kind of a point of view where you know we need regulation. And we need kind of uh, a different policy in relation to what we what the state have basically been doing the last mm. 45 years. And that's the status quo. And that status quo basically 
criminalise people for using drugs mm. and the whole network of supply. And it's, no matter, Michael, you could put all sorts of resources into tackling, um, you know, the distribution of drugs. Mm. Literally, like, so much resources, much more than now, and it still would not stop the supply of drugs. It just wouldn't. And we've seen, even, like, the, the laws that we have at the moment, where people can like, go to prison for numerous amount of years for, you know, yeah. handling drugs, that still hasn't been a deterrent. Mm. So obviously what, what you know, most, I think most of the public are saying now is that, look, uh, these kind of laws that have been kind of put together about 45 years ago simply are not working. And actually they're detrimental to the whole societal kind of uh, issue around yeah. the way people take drugs. So there needs to be a kind of a policy change. And I believe a policy change is uh, a policy change of decriminalisation and then looking at the broader kind of, uh, I suppose... Well, why decriminalisation? Why not legalisation? I mean, if you take the minister's example there, if you take cocaine on a, a Saturday night, uh, you may be also taking rat poison. Uh, uh, yeah. that that the gangs are putting into the cocaine on the Monday morning before they go out and shoot each other or your neighbour. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, look, I think there is a debate to be had about regulation of all drugs, right? Now, that's quite radical. Um, and I even, Michael, haven't actually worked out how actually that would, you know, how it would work in relation to particular to certain drugs. And there's obviously a terrible dark side to some drugs, terrible dark side, what they do to human beings, what they do to the communities. But by saying that, I think there, there needs to be the debate about the kind of pros and cons mm. in relation to regulation of all drugs. What about the money? Uh, because uh, there's two <laughs> sides to the coin when you talk about money, if you pardon the pun. One side of the coin is what we spend on policing drugs. Uh, and the other side of the coin is what could be raised in taxes. Exactly. So, you know, it's slightly hard to quantify but how, how, how much money you could actually kind of gain from taxing uh, certain drugs that mm. are kind of controlled drugs. But I would say it would run into the billions. Mm. In Ireland alone. Just uh, Ireland alone. And, and so, add to that what you're saving on policing and put a portion exactly. of that into providing services for people who have problems with drugs. Exactly. Well, look, at Michael, 80% of the prison population in Ireland is there for... Uh, some sort of offence in relation to drug distribution or drug sale, you know, selling drugs. Now, that sells everything, doesn't it? 80%. So, 80% of people that are in prison at the moment are there for drug offences. Now, that is an absolutely shocking statistic. Mm. So, uh, that says that we need to do something very different. And I think there's a debate at the moment, you know, via the Citizens Assembly about drug, drug decriminalisation. I... I I mean, it's a good thing that we're having this debate, but I think we need to go much further mm. than drug decriminalisation, particularly around cannabis. I think it should be regulated. The other drugs like heroin, you know, cocaine and all that, it's a more nuanced debate, I'll be honest with you. It's a more nuanced debate. Mm. But I think, uh, again, I think people are open to the idea of looking at something very different than we have now. And that kind of difference is looking at different models. And that model at the moment, at the moment, is decriminalisation of the person. You still have the situation that all these drugs uh, that are, are controlled drugs are still controlled drugs, illegal. Mm. The only and, people that are meant to have them. And you'll illegal. still be told, don't take them, even though it's not illegal to have them in your possession uh, because yeah. you're funding the drugs gangs. Uh, and it's sending out a blurred message, I would think, to people if that's yeah. the way it ends up. But what about the 80% of prisoners? Uh, if you were to legalise drugs for the sake of the argument, 
Uh, would they not be in prison anyway uh, for um, selling no, catalytic no. converters or, or cigarettes or something uh, else? Well, I mean, I think the, you know, the prison population, as I, was saying, as I, as I alluded to, the majority of people that are in prison are there for drug offences. Now, if you all of a sudden made a substance such as illicit drugs, in this case, controlled drugs, uh, regulated and, le- and legalised in a framework, obviously then there would be less people in prison because of, you know, the illegal distribution and mm. consumption of them drugs. That would be... But would prison, the prison population go down? Uh, I, cer- I would certainly think so, because mm-hmm. uh, if 80% of people are in prison mm. because of drug offences... Uh, on the whole spectrum of that you would think that the the population of prisoners would go down Uh, that's a bit of a no-brainer I mean whether Mm. people swell into other kind of criminality that's difficult to know Uh, but I would I would you know I would suggest that if if there was a framework of regulation uh, and you know and decriminalisation I think that people be less uh, you know there'll be less people in prison. What about, what, what, what about the arguments against regulation? Because regulation would control the strength of the drugs, the potency, and they wouldn't be strong enough uh, because nobody in the right mind <laughs> apparently would sell some of uh, the drugs that are available now yeah, because they're just course, too yeah, yeah. too strong. So yeah. you, you'd have yeah. much weaker versions available to people. And if they want, wouldn't, if they didn't want them, they'd buy uh, what they're getting now off the gangs on the streets anyway. So it wouldn't really yeah. have any impact. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, getting rid of the black market would be very, very difficult. Um, initially, I think initially. Um, and there will probably be still always kind of, you know, people to try to introduce other stronger drugs uh, into the market. Uh, it is, it's a, it's a good point. Uh, but I, I, I firmly believe if you had a, re- a regulated system, such as cannabis, probably cannabis is the best kind of example. If you had a regulated system where the state controls the quantity the, the strength and so mm. forth largely and we've seen this throughout uh, the world where they have legalised largely the black market goes into the shadows largely uh, that's not to say I mean there's still a black market for alcohol there's still a black market for tobacco there's still a black market for certain things in society mm. so it won't be completely eradicated but largely where systems have regulated the black market largely goes into the margins and that's really what you're kind of looking to do. So all that money that could be generated, rather than go to criminal gangs, now goes to the state via, you know, more progressive things in society. Okay. So I think that's a better system. And I think the majority of people would agree with that. I think it's okay. Well, we're going to be having this conversation for some time to come. I think it's expected that the Citizens' Assembly will be established in April and yeah. it'll make its recommendations and so forth. There's a, another very contentious issue that I, I wanted to talk to you about, and that's assisted dying. Uh, that's to be looked at by a special Oireachtas committee. Uh, and you've written to the Count Corla because you're frustrated, apparently, about the delay in forming that committee. Yeah, about two months ago, Michael, that you know the government made its intentions that uh, the special committee examining the sister dime would be uh, established. Now that was two months ago before Christmas, and as of yet, you know the government haven't nominated their uh, composition of TDs. Uh, there has to be fifteen people, fifteen TDs or centres on uh, the committee that made made up of eight TDs 
and seven senators. So the composition has to be a majority in government. But as of yet, the government haven't nominated their five uh, TDs, which is extremely frustrating, I mean, it's two months ago. Um, but I think soundings from uh, the Kieran Carla's office, I got an email last night saying that look, things are moving relatively quickly now. So hopefully that the committee will be established very, very soon. And we, you know, can have a, I think, a national discussion about a very, very kind of important debate around the system mm. uh, via the, the Special Rockets Committee. Mm. Yeah, uh, and you'll hold hearings uh, in public uh, as well and uh, we'll be hearing the different arguments back and forth and then, like a Citizens' Assembly, I suppose, the Rockets Committee will make its recommendations on yeah. it to government and yeah. then it's up to the government to decide what to do thereafter. Exactly, exactly. Okay. and that's what happens, Michael, that's what happens. And it'll be by mm. the end of the year... You know, if the committee is established relatively soon, it will meet probably in public in the next four to six weeks, and then it'll make its recommendations to the government. And it's up to the government then to, I mean, obviously, I'm, 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 in my opinion, it would be good if the committee can recommend legislative change, mm. so the government then can put in legislation before in the lifetime of this government to change the law around the dime. That's what I would hope that the committee would do, which I'm a member of. Mm. which I will be a member of. Okay. Well, they're both very difficult conversations, but necessary conversations, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, a lot of people will be very interested in what's said on both sides of uh, the arguments for drugs and for assisted dying. Gino, thank you indeed. Thanks, Michael. Thank Thank you you very much indeed. Gino, Kenny, people before Profit TD for Dublin Midwest. Michael Reed on LMFM. And thank you, Navin listener, for your text. Our Navin listener, as the text is signed, says, Michael, listen, it's sickening listening to the sanctimonious waffle from energy companies on how concerned they are about their customers. The cost of electricity, gas, oil, etc. has dropped and it's been dropping for months, but the reduction hasn't been passed on to the hard-hit households and businesses. Shame on them. Greed is alive, as always in Ireland says our Navin listener. I think uh, the energy companies will say that what they're charging you for now is what they paid for many months ago and it was more expensive when they bought the gas in particular that uh, you're now paying for. Uh, Another text or WhatsApp from somebody who says isn't the taxpayer going to have to pay for these cost of living measures? The extra money uh, is going to have to be found somewhere when you get down the line because nothing is for free. Well thank you indeed for that. I'm sure that's completely right. Nothing is for free in this world. You get to a stage uh, where there's no doubt about that uh, but there are many ways of skinning a cat and a windfall tax on energy for example is one of uh, the ways that the government is looking at raising revenue or indeed looking at the extra revenue that it's been taking in as a result of extra taxes because we're paying more for certain things. Anyway, uh, if you'd like to make a comment on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. We'll hear some local issues that were raised in the Dáil yesterday now. Uh, many people will be familiar with Thomas Tank Engine, but not so many people will be uh, familiar with Leo the Slow Coach. Um, but Leo the Slow Coach is well known in County Meath. Uh, people have been waiting in Meath for over 20 years for a rail line to be built. More people, more workers left Meath today to go to work than actually stayed in the county. And that happens in no other county in the country. Meath people travel longer and further distances than any other county in relation to the commuter hell that they're in. We've been promised the rail line for 20 years. And shockingly, even at this stage, there's no money, there's no money set aside or ring fence for that particular project. 
and we've been asked to wait for potentially another 16 to 19 years before that rail line is built. Will you remain a slow coach, uh, Taoiseach, or will you start to put the money aside, ring fence for this project, and bring the project forward? Let's hear what Leo the Taoiseach had to say to Peter Tobin. These big infrastructure projects take time, unfortunately, and uh, I wish they could be done... I, I wish, wish they could be done, done quicker. Um, it is government policy to extend the train line uh, from Dunboyne from Pace uh, to Navan. Uh, would benefit your constituency and mine, as the trains will uh, pick up passengers in my constituency too. So uh, keen to see that project progress. Um, but these things do take time. In the meantime, we need to make sure that we improve uh, bus services in particular. Um, at least until the train line is ready. All right, Taoiseach Leo Ratker, not giving much room or scope for hope uh, in his response to Aintu's Peter Tobin uh, that uh, the train line will be expedited. Uh, another local issue that uh, the Taoiseach had to respond to came from Finnegale TD in Louth. Uh, Taoiseach, uh, the vast majority of Irish citizens, 8,600 and all, who died in Ireland from COVID, the vast majority were over 80, 65 years of age. And as we know, very frequently their passing was a matter of great upset and trauma for, for everybody concerned, most of all the families who couldn't be present because of the nature of the illness. We as the government promised in our programme for government to establish a commission for care to assess how we care and examine alternatives to care for older people, both at home and in nursing homes. Could I ask Taoiseach, is this a priority and what timeline is there to commence this very important Promised commission. Okay, that's uh, Fine TD for Louth and East Meath. Ferguson O'Dowd asking that question of uh, the Taoiseach Leo Radker. It is, it is uh, absolutely a pri- priority for government and for me personally to have the Commission on Care established. Um, would hope to have established by the middle of this year. Um, we have had a number of uh, commissions looking to particular matters in real depth under this government. There's been the Commission on Pensions, the Commission on Media, um, the Commission on Tax and Welfare. <laughs> Uh, and also uh, the Commission on Housing. Um, but to be done properly, they can't all be done at the same time. It doesn't mean that any one issue is more important than the other. Um, but given that the, the housing one will be finish, finishing up its work quite soon, um, we would hope to have the Commission on Care established by the middle of the year. Okay, that's the Taoiseach once again. Uh, a couple more comments that have come to us. Betty Daly in Malahide texting saying, Michael, just listening. Uh, she's talking about robbing Peter to pay Paul uh, the rate of all of the increases in the cost of living we will be robbing Matthew, Mark, Luke and John as well in order to pay our bills. Thank you indeed uh, Betty Daly. Uh, Baz thank you for your text as well. Baz says it's the same as tobacco I think it's, it's drugs he's talking about if you tax it the criminal will sell it cheaper uh, and uh, there'll be a market for it. Thank you Baz uh, for that uh, and uh, to anyone who's been in touch 0419832000 the telephone number text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, thanks for your call, Annie. We were waiting for you. We were hoping for your call and thanks for your call, Annie. Annie doesn't think that uh, the government have the wherewithal to put in place the cost of living proposals that we really need. They have no real concept, she says, of how tough things are for people and they seem to be burying their heads in the sand when it comes to 
their responsibilities, throwing people on extra social welfare, an extra social welfare payment a couple of times a year won't cut it. It is not enough. People are sinking financially and at a faster rate. Uh, and thank you, Annie, for that. Uh, I suppose uh, the jury's out until this time next week when we'll have some indication of uh, the next set of measures that uh, the government hopes uh, to help people with dealing with the increase in the cost of living. Liam, on that subject too, says that the government will have some work. Uh, they have to w- work some real magic over the coming months uh, if they're serious about improving things financially for people across the board. But as it stands, things are very difficult for everyone. Contrary to popular belief, it's not just certain sectors of society who are struggling, like lone families or the elderly. It's everyone. We're all struggling to make ends meet. And he says price increases on everyday things like fuel and food are just choking us. Liam, appreciate your call. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks as well to Pam, who uh, phoned us as well. Appreciate that too, Pam. She doesn't agree with legalising all drugs. Pam says it should only be the tamer, less addictive drugs, the likes of cannabis, that should be legalised. The drug addiction problems in this country are are growing. It's getting worse on a a daily basis. Legalising drugs will only push these figures even higher. Thank you, Pam, as I say, for ringing us today. If you want to ring us, our telephone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp on 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Now let's go to the Cooley Mountains to speak with Matthew McGreen, who's uh, the sheep representative for the IFA in Louth. And a very good morning to you, Matthew, and thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. We know that there's been problems with sheep and more to the point, problems with dogs worrying sheep in the coolies, and it's an age-old problem at this stage. Uh, you've had uh, some problems recently. Tell us what happened to you on Sunday. Good morning, Michael. Uh, yes, yeah, we had an incident on Sunday again. Uh, I wasn't there myself. I was with a funeral in Mayo Bridge, but uh, basically what happened, a couple got out of a car, walked through the forestry, Hilchland, onto our mountain, and let their dog loose. And uh, lucky enough, my daughter uh, was there, went up the road and, and videoed the whole lot. And, and the guards have the clip, and, and the dog warden has the clip. Uh, uh, one sheep ran off from the bundle, the main bunch, and lay down for about five minutes. Uh, they got the dog back under control. Another farmer came to the rescue, then too, and, and told them to get away with the dog, you know. But, Michael, it's happening too often. The week before last, you probably heard of this dog from North County, Dublin. Sophie was lost on our mountain for a week uh, and was found. You know, uh, something has to be done. And I suppose, Michael, I would be, at this stage, we're pleading. The farmers are affected. Not all farmers are affected, but the farmers, the shareholders. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. on the mountain are pleading with our national politicians, our local politicians, to, to bring in a law to ban the dogs. We don't, we don't give permission to bring dogs on the mountain. With no, there's a, there, there's a, there is a law to ban the dogs. There is a law to ban the dogs roaming off the lead, as was the case. And yeah. you have the reg plate and video coverage of yeah. this that you've passed on to the guards and to the yeah. dog warden. And Louth County Council this week issued a warning to dog owners that if your dog is off the lead, uh, you face the prospect mm. of incurring big fines uh, and potentially uh, imprisonment. Michael, we have a big problem with that. You'd wonder what the problem is. But you see, Michael, if you're telling people to put, put the dogs in a lead, on a perfect wall maybe, but people just don't keep the dogs in a lead. And the area is too big and too vast to police you know what I mean? Uh, the, dog, the dog warden won't be able to do it. He won't be able to do it 24-7. Yeah. You know, we need the law to ban the dogs. Even even with dogs in a lead, the leads go out so uh, extend out 20, 30 yards now. Like, 10 times out of 10, you could say, if they go up the mountain with the dog in the lead, they'll take him off. They'll take him off the lead and let him run loose. Uh, so, like, as you know, Michael, you are, would be aware that the Raptors is discussing dog laws at the moment. Mm. And it's probably a terror talk. That well, I think they, they've given up talking about it. <coughs> they probably will be talking about it uh, shortly, or I think the hope is shortly. Uh, but it's a conversation that started back in November when the Taoiseach uh, responded uh, to the attack on, on that little boy in November. He asked the Minister for Agriculture to look at it. Then in January, I think it was, the Minister met uh, with another Minister, Charlie Connellogue, met with Heather Humphreys. Uh, and then they took some time they stood back from it and they've established a working group uh, we heard that working group only met for the first time at the beginning of this month if I remember correctly uh, and we're waiting to hear uh, what work it will do and what recommendations it, it'll ultimately make when it gets around to it if you like yeah well Michael it's forgotten the last few months since that chap got bitten a review submissions were invited for a review of the dog laws back in 2019 back in 2019, and IFA put in submissions, you know, but nothing happened until now. So, like, there was a review back in 2019 that uh, seems to be forgotten about. But, Michael, I do believe there will be changes in the dog laws now. I think there will, in you? Uh, so, so I would plead with our Arctis members, our local politicians, everybody, uh, walking groups to row in behind us, the Gardaí, the, the wardens, and the local tourism sector too, to row in behind us and get a law brought in. Because if we're all to coexist in harmony and, and everything else, and if, 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 if uh, you know, if the 
the walks ought to continue. Mm. We need the law changed. We definitely need the law changed. And I, I think it, it'll be an opportunity lost now if there's laws changed and, and the common is included. Because we want traceability. Uh, of course, we want traceability and a national database. But if a dog goes up there and he is, he's on a national database on the mountain, it won't mm. make any difference to the sheep. You know what I mean? Mm. If, whether he's on a national database or not, or whether he's as a licensed or not, yeah. we need the law. We need the law. So we're we're like the, the abuse we're getting from people. That that uh, man that lost Sophie on the mountain a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I rung him up to tell him we were disgusted. As far as he was concerned, I was on Bally go backwards. You know, and that piece, uh, you know, to go mm. away, you Bally go backwards. This and that. You know, that piece uh, part of the narrative and abuse we do get. Right, and, and 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 not alone are the, the sheep being traumatized, the farmers have been traumatized. And some farmers are at the end of their tether, you know, really and truly at the end of their tether. And we need we need the law changed, and at least at least uh, at least people would know that there'd be a law against it. And like, mm. it should be enough that we don't give permission. Like, uh, it is a slap in the face to us uh, that we have cooperated with the local authorities, given the walk schemes and everything else. Yeah. And, and, and then not and young boy last week with Sophie as well he said it's public land nothing to do with me so there's very little public land in Ireland Michael mm. we have cooperated with the local authorities as I say and the National Trails Office on the well the death and devastation uh, the financial impact and all of that uh, I mean uh, if anybody looks at the situation logically they'll understand it uh, unless um uh, they aren't taking uh, these factors into account. They're, they're seeing them as being irrelevant. Uh, you said that what happened on Sunday resulted in one of your ewes leaving the main bunch uh, and laying down. Yeah. Um, but is that... Um, well, she was just run off on her own because of the, the dog excited her, you know, and yeah. she was heavy, heavy and lamb. Uh, how she's heavy in land and she did right. get up after five minutes lucky enough another farmer came to my daughter's assistance and intervened with the people to get away off the mountain you know what I mean yeah. but they said oh we hadn't the dog off the lead didn't you know okay is there a risk of miscarriage in a situation oh, like that is, yeah, there, is, yeah, there, absolutely. is there is there a risk of heart attack oh yeah people right. get excited when a new dog comes on to the mountain you know yeah. they're not okay. you know it, it can excite them right. and, 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 and anything can happen and, yeah. and you, you did send us the video um, the dog is off the lead it's illegal uh, the council have said there will be significant fines particularly now coming into the lambing season they've said that yeah. just this week uh, they've yeah. issued a statement to that effect they spoke on the radio station this week Mm. Uh, promising that that would be what happened. Uh, you've passed this video on to the councillor. I, I take it that yeah. they will be following up on it. Oh, they will, Michael. And I, I hope they will. I hope they will not be pressured. But even the incident the week before last, you know, that man admitted that he let the dog off the lead and the dog was away for a week. And, you know, when the dog was found, uh, it was all smiles. Uh, the guards were there in the photograph and everything was rosy. You know what I mean? We can't we can't put up with this any longer. There has to right. be... Uh, you know, dog proper dog control, but uh, again, that was remiss of the guards, wasn't it? Well, listen, the guards, in fairness, took it very seriously on Sunday, uh, so they did. But it is, it is, uh, it's disheartening now. You know what I mean? When it's not taken serious enough, we have a request in uh, IFA to meet the the, the superintendent in in the dock about it. Uh, so we hope to have that meeting soon. Mm. But like even. Uh, 
on there was a, I'm not on Facebook. Well, that that really know. was ill-advised of the guards, though, to be smiling in photographs with uh, the dog after it was recovered, given the seriousness of uh, the situation or exactly. what what was potentially very serious. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I'm sure they didn't do it in purpose or whatever. You know, they didn't mm. realize. No, that's what I'm saying. It was very ill-advised, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, same people that all all concerned do realize, and uh, like it is, it is. It's not. Ju- it shouldn't be left down to the farmer either you know there's a lot mm. of people that um, you know you were at, you were at a funeral tourism sector as well yeah. that we need their help we are calling for their help we, we don't want to cause divisions yeah. or anything yet like there, we have a walk scheme here there's shareholders on the mountain saying is it worth being involved in this yeah. walk scheme at all will, will we will we close up the stales yeah, you know yeah, yeah. but listen you you, you, you you were at a funeral on Sunday so you weren't there but if you had been there and you'd witnessed this yourself would you have shot the dog well, I wouldn't, Michael, because if I shot the dog and then people there, I'd be I'd be the worst in the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, but I would have intervened. But you're you, but you're you and Lamb lay down. Yeah. yeah, but I would have intervened. God knows what they would have said to me. God knows what I would have said. But back. you, you but have the right to shoot. You have the right to shoot the dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just saying... God knows what would happen. The gun would probably taken off me or whatever if I had to go up and them people there, you know, and, and shoot. It's not just that simple. You know what I mean? We have a right mm. to shoot the dog, but when people are there, maybe children or whatever, it's just not that simple going up and shoot a dog with her, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, well, yeah, I think I'm probably glad to hear that as well. But you know, you know, just, you you know, know what I mean. Yeah. It's not. You know what I mean. It's just not that yeah. black and white. You know, yeah. if if people are, are are a couple of hundred yards away from the dog. Okay. You know. Well, Matthew, I'm sure there's some dog owners listening uh, this morning uh, who yeah. think what you're saying is Bally go backwards or whatever that fella mm-hmm. said to you. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're we're quite proud of our area. We're proud to be where we're from. We don't feel we're from Bally go backwards. Mm. We. Uh, we have a lovely area and we don't mind people walking on it uh, on, on the walking routes that's there mm. but we definitely need a bit of support from all concerned all the genuine walkers that is there that does come and respect us uh, you know uh, we need to, to try and help us to get these laws changed OK well I hope people heard uh, the message loud and clear Matthew thank Michael, you for joining us thank very much thank Ma- you thank you Matthew McGreehan Sheep Representative with uh, the IFA in Louth Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks to Kevin, by the way. Kevin texted us saying uh, a couple of weeks ago there was a hue and cry about a, a dog running loose on the Coley's. Search parties had been organised by do-gooders. The dog should have been impounded and the owner fined instead of being congratulated. A text from Tom and Kells who says if the councils are going to enforce these laws they'll have to take on more dog wardens. Thanks if you have been in touch with us today. Now there will be a statutory public inquiry into collusion between the British state forces and other persons between 1968 and 1998 to commit, assist or prevent prosecution of offences including murder in the island of Ireland. That is, if a bill that was introduced in the Dáil yesterday is to be enacted. Its sponsor is AIM2 founder and leader, Patrick Tobin, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you for joining us on the programme today. Little hope of this bill being enacted, though, I take it. Well, the context of this at the moment is uh, we have the British government proceeding with a, a legacy bill uh, in the uh, British Parliament, a legacy bill which would basically give uh, an amnesty to all of the British soldiers who were involved in the murder of Irish citizens and the cover-up of those murders uh, or any involvement in it. 
Um, and this particular bill that the British are involved in is actually unique in that it's, it's managed to unify every single political party on the island of Ireland. Unionists and nationalists oppose this bill because what it does, it puts a stop to anybody achieving justice for their loved ones or anybody finding the truth out about what happens yeah. to their loved ones. And actually, it's a quite incredible, uh, Michael, that something like this hasn't happened already in the state, um, that uh, no Irish government has thought about actually instituting uh, what the AIM2 bill seeks to institute. Because, you know, the, the biggest loss of life of any action in the, um, in the Troubles was actually the Dublin, Dublin Monaghan bombings. Um, and these were bombings that were committed... You know, on southern soil, southern citizens mm. killed, and you know. Do you, do you want to tell us who carried them out? Do you want to tell us who carried out uh, the Sunday, uh, the bloody Sunday atrocity? Uh, because you told the doll yesterday that if the government doesn't support your bill, you're going to start naming names. Well, first of all, no, we, we didn't say that. Uh, what we did say is that if the British government close off any access to justice for citizens in the north of Ireland through the Legacy Bill if they get rid of the rule of law, if they get rid of um, the idea of justice uh, for people uh, in that legacy bill, well, then families will have no opportunity to know uh, exactly the truth of what happened to their families. And it's incredible that, that even today that we know the names of those who were killed on Bloody Sunday, but we don't know the names of the British soldiers who killed those people uh, on Bloody Sunday. Um, you know, it's a real inversion of justice, you know, when we know the names of those who were innocent civil rights marchers who were murdered by the British state, but uh, 50 years after it happened, it's still secret who actually carried out those killings. And, you know, if, you know the rule of law should prevail. People should have a right to go to court and to achieve justice. And, and those who are, um, you know, who have been uh, charged should have the right to defend themselves. That's in a liberal democracy. But the British government's plan is to delete that element of the liberal democracy and prevent any of that ever happening in the future again. So what we're looking to do, rather than go down that route, is to actually have a proper investigation in Ireland with regards to what happened. So, you know, you, you mentioned, obviously, Bloody Sunday, Dublin Monaghan bombings, and, you know, there are countless other killings. Even, you know, the AIM2 councillor, Denise Mullen from Tyrone, she was four years old when the Glenan gang murdered her father right in front of her. Um, and, you know, you had a situation where... The Glenan Gang was made up of RUC, British Army, and local loyalists uh, on, on the ground. And nobody ever uh, uh, prosecuted in the Glenan Gang for mm. 120 murders. Um, and, and yet those peop- many of those people live cheek by jowl in those counties uh, with the victims uh, of their murders. Um, so what we're looking to do is, first of all, institute a commission investigation with the power to compel uh, witnesses and papers uh, in this state. Um, but would also be able to take witness statements from people living outside of this jurisdiction. And also, there's been quite a body of work that's been carried out by elements of the British state, either through investigations uh, or uh, commissions of, of inquiry. Our commission of inquiry would be able to take those elements and include them in our investigation to fill in the gaps, to be able to paint a clearer picture yeah. of what happened. Well, John Boucher is currently investigating uh, the Glenan gang, isn't he? And I, I think that's an uh, investigation uh, that uh, will be accepted certainly in this jurisdiction uh, when it's concluded. If it concludes, are you concerned that it won't conclude? Well, I am concerned. Uh, I went to uh, uh, Westminster there just before Christmas uh, along with the Good Friday Agreement Committee and we met with British politicians, uh, Labour, Tory and SNP politicians, 
both in the House of Commons and in the House of Lords, in an effort to convince them to ditch this um, this incredible uh, mm. legacy bill that they're implementing. The amnesty, the de the facto amnesty, the de facto amnesty that they're talking about putting exactly. in place under and that legislation. You know, uh, if if that was enacted, uh, would it put an end to John Boucher's investigation, which is not just into the Glenn and Gang, it's into many of the atrocities that you'd mentioned? Yeah, so my understanding uh, is that it would uh, put an end to those investigations and it would also put an end into anybody else seeking to open up an investigation mm. in, into the future. And, you know, while we met with sympathetic ears amongst the British political establishment, it was very clear that most didn't give a damn about what was happening, and most didn't even know about, you know, the effects that this would have mm. in Ireland. And, you know, it, it is an incredible element of the difficulties that we have in this country, is that the political establishment that rules part of it doesn't really know much about it mm. and doesn't really care much about well, it. I think there's a, another side to that, that uh, there's probably a, a lot of concern uh, because uh, there's elements to this uh, that uh, the British state or agents on its behalf would not want uh, to be made public and would be seen as state secrets. But there's little or no point in investigating these issues, is there, without the full cooperation of uh, the British government? Because we like that. We've had many investigations into many of these uh, atrocities over the years, just as Henry Barron uh, looked very closely at, at a lot of them. But uh, he was, um, he, he met a brick wall with the British. Yeah, but there has been m- major difficulties in relation to this. But you know, there has been, you know, two public inquiries in Britain uh, around the murder of Pat Finucane. And there has been, you know, uh, a previous uh, police ombudsman report, which implicated the British state in 19 murders across Antrim, Derry, Tyrone and Donegal. You know, we have the, the Barron report, mm. which stated that RUC officers and UDR officers were involved in the Dublin and Monaghan bombings. Mm. You know, so, you know, there has been uh, elements within the British, uh, the British state uh, who have, in fairness, try to achieve justice and truth for people. Um, Now, what we're saying is that there's enough information out there and there's enough people out there who can add to fill in the gaps to paint a a proper, more clear picture Mm. in relation to this. And And what's your intention if this amnesty goes ahead uh, and the government doesn't uh, uh, accept your bill, it's not enacted, uh, what's your intention then uh, when it comes to naming names? Are, are you intending to use parliamentary privilege and name names? Uh, and how many names are you intending to put into the public domain? Well, there's um, the, the um, investigation into the Bloody Sunday um, atrocity uh, identified uh, in private uh, individuals who were uh, involved in the killing of the uh, civil rights marchers in that day. And um, so that's a very significant uh, level of knowledge that that investigation had and that it named individuals that were involved in those killings. If the British close off all rights, all efforts, all chances of justice uh, or truth um, in relation to that, uh, I will go into the Dáil and I will name those who are alleged to have killed um, on behalf of the British Army those people on Bloody Sunday because um, it, it, it would mean that there is no liberal democracy opportunity available to the families to achieve justice. And I believe that the names of those who carried out the killings should be known. Okay. Are there other people involved in crimes related to the troubles uh, that you would also be naming? We would be very, very careful in naming anybody unless we had some uh, official understanding of who was involved. And we would allege we would only name uh, where we had uh, very strong evidence uh, that individuals were involved. There's no way that we would put 
uh, people um, who are innocent uh, in danger uh, in relation to this. And there's no way that you know we would, would, would do damage to families. But where there is has been investigations carried out at a significant level with either in Ireland or Britain that have named individuals uh, who were involved, we would um, we would look at bringing those names to the fore only, as I said, in a situation where the normal structures of a liberal democracy to achieve justice have been deleted. Okay. Uh, and to be honest, what we're looking for the Irish government is to bring the British government to the European Court of Human Rights um, in relation to the bill that they're, the British are pushing through, the amnesty bill that they're pushing through Westminster. And we want them to actually state that publicly in advance of that bill going through, because what the Irish government should be doing is playing hardball with the British now and saying, you know, making sure that if they proceed with this bill, that there's going to be a consequence to this. You know, this is a, you know, in, in normal relations between countries, it's based upon, obviously, you know, decent uh, diplomatic relationships, the rule of law, justice, uh, and democracy. Mm, I'm sure the government will say it's using its diplomatic channels. It has uh, very strongly uh, expressed well, its opposition to this legislation. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who would say, uh, you're not going to get anywhere by threatening people. Well, first of all, I would say that the, the tactic of the Irish government for generations has been softly, softly. The Irish government have, have never flexed its diplomatic muscles when it comes to Britain. Even the Dublin Monaghan bombings saw that investigation very, very quickly um, shelved uh, by the southern government. When you look at the, what happens in the protocol, you know, this proto- when the British decided that they were going to renege on the protocol, who said that they were going to go to, to, to court over this? Was it the Irish government or the European Union? The European Union threatens court action over the, um, um, the reneging of, on the protocol by the British. The Irish government, again, softly, softly um, approached, very, very gentle approach. It hasn't worked to date. Mm. The British that's, government are a pariah. But that's diplomacy, isn't it? I mean, if you put a gun to somebody's head, um, they'll be accused uh, of doing what you're asking them to do because you've got a gun to their head, not because it's I'm their not- decision. What we're just asking for the government to do is outline very clearly all steps that it will take as a consequence of the British government proceeding with a law that would mean that people who died in the Dublin and Monaghan bombings, the people who died in Bloody Sunday, uh, in, in the murder triangle uh, from the Glenan gang, in the Spring Hill uh, massacre, in the Bally Murphy massacre, uh, the Reavy brothers, the O'Dowd uh, family, all of those, if the British government brings in the law to say they are not entitled to justice or truth ever, and the people who carried out those atrocities will be protected by the British government in future. If, the, if, if that proceeds, the Irish government should very clearly lay out the, the diplomatic and international consequences of those actions, and they should mm-hmm. do it before the drastic step of that bill being passed is done, okay. because if they do it beforehand, there might be some way we can dissuade the British from proceeding in the in in the uh, the routes that they're taking. Okay, well, I think there's one thing everybody will agree with, uh, not just on this island, uh, but uh, on the one across the pond as well. That is that everybody on this island is opposed to that legislation, which would give that de facto amnesty. Peter Tobin, thank you for joining us this morning. That's uh, Peter Tobin, uh, the leader and founder of Ain Two, who is a TD for Meath West. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Next week, we mark uh, uh, the, the first year of uh, the terrible war in Ukraine, the uh, full-fledged invasion by Russia against uh, Ukraine. And we see uh, no signs that uh, President Putin uh, is preparing for peace. 
Uh, what we see is the opposite. Uh, he is preparing for more war, for new offensives and uh, new attacks. And we will meet uh, later on today in the US-led uh, contact group uh, for uh, Ukraine and address the urgent needs for uh, increased support to Ukraine. Not least the need to provide more ammunition and uh, also how to ramp up uh, production uh, and strengthen our defense industry to be able to uh, provide uh, the necessary uh, ammunition uh, to Ukraine and also to replenish our own uh, stocks. That's the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg speaking. Yes, and the reason there is uh, this need to, to ramp up production is because Ukraine is using thousands of shells every day and the West is in danger of running out of ammunition and heavy weaponry. Uh, a lot has been promised and let's talk about the consequence of those promises and what to expect next with independent Senator Gerard Crockwell, a former military personnel member himself. Good morning, Senator Crockwell. Thanks for joining us on the programme today. Do you think it's wise of NATO to be supplying these weapons of war to Ukraine to the extent that it is, because we're going past the bullets and the tanks into the long-range missiles and the fighter jets now? Uh, Good morning, Michael. Good morning to your listeners, and thank you for having me on. Um, Look, uh, the situation in Ukraine now is that that there is no choice for NATO now other than to support them as fully as they can. I I don't see a desire to provide the fighter jets. There's a lot of talk about them. The British have offered to train pilots, but I don't see anybody falling over themselves right now to give them jets. And I think that will only happen if the Russians escalate uh, from the land war to an air war, uh, at which time then if the Russians start using uh, serious amounts of fighter jets and attack helicopters, then I think there will be huge pressure on the uh, NATO countries to provide uh, aircraft for Ukraine. With respect to the ammunition, both sides are pumping thousands and thousands of tons of explosives on each other all day, every day. And um, yes, it's going to cause a serious problem for the arms industry in the West to keep up. But equally, it's going to cause a serious problem for the arms industry in Eastern Europe and particularly in Russia uh, to maintain. Is this war good business for the West? Sadly, it's a point I've often made, Michael, war is good business. Um, if you recall, but, well, you may be too young, but uh, quite a number of people that are listening won't be. When the Falklands War started back in the 1980s, um, Britain was on its knees. And suddenly when it went to war, its economy, its economy boomed. Uh, sadly, that is a fact of life, I'm afraid. Okay. What uh, might the consequences be? Uh, if a NATO bomb, regardless of how it's dropped, uh, whether it's from a fighter jet or one of these long-range missiles, uh, lands in Russian territory? Yeah, I I mean, Putin has been very forthcoming in saying that he will retaliate. 
um, and he's already threatened the UK, for example, that if they provide fighter jets, there will be retaliation from Russia. I think Secretary General of the United Nations forecasted at the beginning of the year that this war is going to escalate and become a much broader uh, front. There is some concern in Moldova right now. Uh, there's Russian uh, unrest in Moldova, and I believe the Poles would be extremely nervous at the moment. So there is a real risk, Michael, that this is going to escalate. Suing for peace with Russia is not uh, um, a prospect right now while they're illegally uh, uh, occupying part of Ukraine. Mm. Okay, but who are they fighting? Uh, Are are they fighting Ukraine uh, or are they fighting uh, the alliance that Ukraine has formed with NATO and the Western world? I was afraid you were going to ask me that question, Michael. Mm. You always come up with the tough ones. Uh, you're right. They're, 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 what's happening in Ukraine now, Ukraine is a proxy for the Western world against against Russia, and there's no easy way to put this. Yeah. Uh, we, we are fully supporting uh, Ukraine, and for the moment we're happy enough to allow young Ukrainian men and women to lose their lives um, in, in a proxy war that uh, is being funded by and supported fully by NATO. So are we walking slowly into uh, a full-on war rather than a proxy war, a, a third world war? My fear is that we are. My fear is that um, this will escalate out of control. There is Nobody wants to listen to um, peace in any way at the moment. I know I've called for the Irish government to provide what weapons we can uh, for purely for defensive methods um, in in places that are being hit by missiles. We have some anti-missile weapons we could provide. But that is solely to stop genocide and not to be used as um, tools of aggression or um, weapons uh, of uh, aggression, but defensive weapons. I, I really do fear, Michael, that this is spiralling out of control unless somebody grabs hold of it and puts a stop to it. Mm. With all of our United Nations, United Nations Security Council, all of these organisations, nobody seems to be able to put a stop to this. Okay, so the approach that's been taken then uh, is clearly wrong, is it? Uh, Not, uh, because, uh, I mean, surely they should be able to get together and do something to try and uh, get peace talks rather than upping the ante uh, and the hostility uh, and um, living with the potential consequence of a nuclear war. Yeah, um, the point you make is again well made, Michael. Um, but let me give you an analogy that was given to me by a Ukrainian. If I occupied your back garden today and uh, decided I was, st- I was going to build a property there and decided I was going to knock your garden shade and do something else with the piece of land, would you be willing to sit down and negotiate with me uh, and maybe leave part of your back garden to be to be mine. Uh, and that's the way the Ukrainians feel. They feel, why should we negotiate with somebody who's occupying our land? It's an extremely complex situation in Ukraine. And there's a lot, a lot of cross-pollination between Russia and Ukraine historically. So um, I, I, I would love to think that somebody could go in there and sue for peace with both sides. Uh, I can't see it at the moment. I just cannot see it. Mm. So <laughs> we're just looking at the big red button, are we? 
Uh, we could be. Uh, certainly, myself and my colleague, Cahill Berry, went out there to... to um, we didn't go into Ukraine. We went to yeah. Poland and we spoke to people in Poland. Um, yeah, I, I would be somewhat afraid that there would be what, what is euphemistically called a, a minor nuclear strike. But you and I both know a minor nuclear strike in Hiroshima took out an entire city and uh, most of its inhabitants. Um, so a minor nuclear strike, that then puts it up to the West. What do we do then? Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Uh, when you go back uh, to Hiroshima, uh, you didn't have them uh, looking at each other. They're both very well equipped and uh, you can bomb each other out of it for as long as you like, but there'll be nothing left at the end of it. And, and, and I mean, it's the potential for the end of the world. Uh, that's what nuclear war is or the fear that it is. Absolutely, and the lunatics that are running the asylum at the moment, um, my fear is, do any of them really think that far? Or do we just sort of move move along and mosey along, uh, you know, with our hand over our eyes and ears, uh, nothing to see here, nothing to hear here? I think you're right, Michael. Somebody has to step into the frame and start talking peace and trying to uh, trying to bring some element of sense to the nonsense that's taken place and it doesn't help that uh, there's uh, there are very few in the world right now who have the credibility to stand up and sue for peace on both sides here mm-hmm. um it's it, it, like the russians will not listen to any nato country um they won't particularly listen to a small country like Ireland, although I've always said we're not a neutral country. Um, it's unlikely they'd listen to any of the Baltic countries that are not yet in NATO. And they may um, yes end up getting support. Uh, I mean, if uh, NATO jets are uh, part of this war, if they're being used by Ukraine over Russian territory, how are the Chinese or the Indian governments going to react? Exactly, and the North Koreans. Um, remember, there is a fairly large alliance on the other side here. We all look at NATO, uh, but on the other side, there is the potential, as you rightly point out, with China, India, and North Korea joining in for the hell of it. Um, there is also the possibility, um, however improbable at the moment, there is the possible uh, possibility of a strike with China, China on Taiwan. And if that happens, you are now open on two fronts and uh, what did NATO do then? God <laughs> I'm sorry I asked <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but thank you thank you, you, thank, you th- 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 thank you for such uh, honest answers this morning I appreciate it as always and always good to talk to you thank you indeed for joining thank us you, Michael, God bless. that's God independent Senator, Senator Jared Crockwell Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, we might uh, talk about uh, another very difficult subject uh, that's uh, dominating a, a lot of discourse at, at the moment. And what do we do about a, a very small group of people who are, are destroying the wonderful reputation uh, that this country has always had of offering uh, a very warm 100,000 welcomes to people who come to this country. Uh, it's something uh, that is uh, being discussed quite a lot. We'll hear a, a contribution uh, that was made in the Justice Committee by the Labour TD, Aon O'Reardon, yesterday now. Minister, um, I have to say I was disappointed with your comments in relation to deportation and um um, last weekend, just gone by. I mean, what we're witnessing around the country are people 
standing outside centre saying burn them out. We have uh, black kids getting abused at bus stops. We have people in my constituency who work in Beaumont Hospital afraid to go home. We have a rise in racial tension, racial abuse. We have uh, accusations that migrants are, that your children or your women are not, are not safe because of, um, of migrants coming into the area. We have um, videos of buses going to Santry Sports being purported to be uh, full of migrants going into different parts of the country. We have bizarrely attacks that took place on women in Hope Junction Dar Station being purported to be done by migrants in recent times, even though it happened two years ago. Minister, do you not feel at this point that we need a COVID-style response to misinformation from government? When COVID was here and you were at the forefront of that information, we were able to tell everybody what it was, had to protect yourself from it, what it wasn't. And we flooded the airwaves and public representatives were involved in giving people solid information. So we never actually got, we never got a hold. The, the anti-vax, anti-mask anti movement really didn't get a hold as much as possibly it could have. <clears throat> but there is a massive information vacuum from your department and I believe from um, other departments that work in this area, about telling people exactly what the international protection process is, um, what the nature of accommodation is, statistics around crime, etc., and housing, etc., which in a positive way could dispel all of these myths that are being put forward. I don't want to live in a city. I don't recognise my city anymore. I just don't recognise it. I grew up in a country where we... You know, we went everywhere. We went all over the world. Nobody wants to come here. And now people are here because they want to come here. It's an attractive place to come. It's a free country. It has changed so much in my lifetime. And all of us have family members all over the world. I say this to school children all the time. Did you see the World Cup final? I did. Did you see the guy playing for Argentina with the Irish name? Isn't that mad? Because we're everywhere. I mean, the audacity of Irish people to suggest that somebody else should come, you know, isn't, isn't welcome here. Whatever. Regardless of the fact that we have a a robust process. We are in a, in a massively dangerous moment where, you know, as I said, what's been shouted at people, what's been said at people, the atmosphere has been created. You have children at these protests, children chanting things outside these centres where people live. Children are chanting them. Mm, it really is a, a huge concern that such a, a small group of people can tell so many lies and poison the minds of so many people with those lies uh, because uh, they're believing what has been said, even though it's not true. The Minister Aon O'Reardon was speaking to was Simon Harris. But to be very clear, it is the policy of government, the policy of the Department of Justice, and I believe the express wish of the overwhelming majority of the people's representatives in both houses of these Oireachtas to support people fleeing persecution uh, and to provide people with shelter and safety here. There's absolutely no doubt about that. What we have seen in recent weeks on some occasions has, I, I refuse to call some of this protest, it, it, it irks me when it's called protest because some of what we've seen has been thuggish, mobbish, intimidatory behaviour. When you're standing outside what is somebody's home or shelter, including those of children, and shouting, get them out and, and worse. Um, that's not protest in my view, and I don't think it's protest in the views of any 
um, decent person of sound mind. As Minister for Justice, I am beyond aware um, and acutely attuned to um, some of the individuals uh, behind these protests and some people who move from town to town, county to county, trying to stoke up division and fear. And I think we should, and I'm very clear in my head, that we should never conflate, and no one here has, the world of difference between somebody in a local community seeking information and better information from government, and I'll get to that in a moment, with that thuggish far-right behaviour. There's no place for it. It is motiva it is that, that which motivates me to push back against the lies and misinformation of the far right in relation to our rules-based migration system. And I am duty-bound as Minister for Justice, and that is the role I have, to administer our rules-based system. And I'm not going to sit quietly at home, staring at the wall, when I hear people on social media and other places saying, there's no deportation orders in Ireland, that never happens in Ireland. We don't fingerprint anyone coming into the country. There's no discussion with the airlines. I am going to do what any responsible centrist politician should do in this country and not allow a vacuum to appear. We have a rules-based system. We have a fair, compassionate system. We have managed as a country to welcome, and to welcome many more, but to shelter over 70,000 people. That's quite a phenomenal national effort. And it hasn't been without challenge. But it is important, absolutely important. I genuinely feel duty-bound as Minister for Justice to actually explain to the Irish people that what the far right tell them is a load of baloney and is put out there to cause fear. There are deportation orders in every country in the world that operates a migration system and they're in place and they're happening. The far right are telling you a load of baloney. Every politician in every political party, all of the churches, all of the trade unions, all of the civic groups, all of the society groups, uh, anybody with any ounce of decency is saying exactly the same thing. Uh, And I hope uh, that uh, everybody, (laughs) apart from that small few who belong to the far right, hear that message loud and clear. That was the Minister for Justice, Simon Harris. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.